Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Carrie Wilkerson. She is a best-selling author, speaker, and consultant, probably better known to many of you as the Barefoot Executive, which happens to also be the title of her best-selling book. And maybe we'll talk about a new book she's working on, but first, I want to spend some time talking about work-life balance for this episode. So, Carrie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So I know that one of the things you talk about is this idea of designing your own life. And I think that a lot of times when people talk about work-life balance, what they're really talking about is how they're out of balance because their life is designing them, maybe. So tell me a little bit about your kind of your beliefs or thinking around this idea of, of you know, intentionally designing your life. Yeah, that's everybody's holy grail. I mean, it's the it's the buzzword. If there's this ultimate thing that those of us are that are driven or work for ourselves or work at home or you know, even the the ladder climbers, it's it's this elusive idea of work-life balance. And so I'd really like to just give everybody some huge relief first and say I don't I don't think it exists. I don't think there is such a thing as work-life balance. I think it's a matter of life design and proactivity. And I think when we feel out of balance or when we feel off kilter maybe is when we're reacting. We're just reacting to everything that gets thrown at us. We're ducking and weaving and dodging and putting out fires and, you know, every other cliche you can think of just to survive. And and that does feel very out of balance. But when you take control of your day, when you take control of where your business is headed and where your family is headed or where your personal life, your self-care is headed, then you feel more in balance. But there is no perfect ratio. There is no perfect formula. And John, honestly, your work-life design is going to look very different than my work-life design because your home life is different in this stage of your game than mine is at this stage in my game. So um, I think that's the number one thing people need to get is stop buying into the ratios, the formulas, the guilt, the, the shame that follows you around. I, I wish Brene Brown would do her next book on the shame of work-life balance because I just <laughs> – I feel like it's – there is no balance. It's a, it's a rhythm. It's an ebb and a flow and you win – or at least get a significant edge when you take control and you start being proactive instead of reactive. And I think that that probably in some ways this idea of balance has gotten harder to visualize because many people own their own businesses and those businesses are in their homes and there you know there's no yeah. like distinct office to leave it at and uh, in many cases, uh, you know, social media and the, and the sort of always on digital component almost makes it nearly impossible to say, yeah, here's the line in the sand. When I cross over this threshold, you know, I'm no longer at work. Uh, work never quits, does it? Right. And, and the fact that we're always connected with our smartphones and we're always reacting to what comes in and, and those kind of things. But if you, I think it's also a little generational. It, this has evolved. You know, my dad never struggled with work-life balance. Right. My dad did what he did for uh, the military and did what he did for his company and then did what he did for the ministry in these, these stages of his life. And he didn't worry about if he had enough, you know, kid time in the floor or enough. And whether that's right or wrong, the fact is this is kind of a new concept we've created as we've become more kid-centric, 
more um, everyone else focused, we've started saying, you know, we have to serve, serve, serve to the detriment of maybe what drives us or how how we're contributing to the world in a bigger way. So, um, yeah, we feel like we're always on. But again, if we're proactive and if we define our boundaries with our technology, with our social media, even with what we say yes and no to, we can design in a more purposeful way. And that, that same holds true with our kids. We need to have some boundaries with them too. Yeah, so uh, we'll get into unpacking a few of those statements, but I wonder if... Um, you have an opinion on you since you mentioned your dad and generational thing. It, it's perfectly teed up. Uh, my idea is this: um, is the guilt or the actual uh, amount of juggling the work-life balance harder on women today uh, than it used to be? You know that, that there's probably a no-win statement in yeah. there because it depends on where you fall on the feminism timeline, where you fall on the single parent timelines. But what I will say is I do think women tend to take this on more than men. That being said, I don't think it affected my mom really. And my mom, even though she was a stay at home mom, the majority of uh, my upbringing, my mom was not the one to sit at the table and do a craft with me or sit on the floor and do a puzzle with me or stop everything she was doing so I could have some mom time. That wasn't the way our household was. I wasn't neglected or ignored, but I certainly was taught, you know, some independence and some self-sufficiency and, and how to entertain myself for the love. So, um, but I do think at some point there was a shift where women were taught that we had to be ever present and ever available for our kids. That was our whole reason for being there and for our home. And right. Pinterest hasn't helped that <laughs> at all, for my goodness sake. But we, we were taught we were supposed to be all of those things to all of those people. And if you happen to add a business or if you happen to add a career or if you happen to also be juggling that, everything else had to be first or you were out of balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really is about everybody saying me first, me first, me first, me first. And as a woman, we feel like, okay, well, if we don't get that order right, we're out of balance. So maybe I shouldn't work a business at all. Or maybe I'm working too much. Or maybe I'm, you know, when mm-hmm. you know, and I know, when we're in periods of intense growth or um, intense momentum or even during seasons of your work that are busier than others, uh, it's going to be a little out of balance. And then you recoup with the family after that. Or you teach them about short-term sacrifice and long-term reward. Or you teach them about ebb and flow. And that's not a bad thing either. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by my friends at FreshBooks. I have loved this tool for a really long time. Uh, it is super intuitive, makes creating sending invoices really simple. You know you got to collect the cash, you got to keep track of the expenses, and you got to collect the cash. That's really what it comes down to uh, in your finances. FreshBooks takes about 30 seconds to set it up. You can personalize it for your brand, and your clients can now start paying you online, which for many people can speed up getting paid. You'll know whether or not they opened up an invoice. Really, really great tool for creating invoices. But it does a heck of a lot more. Uh, Obviously, that's one of the key features. But you can also track your expenses and put them into categories so that all of a sudden the the bookkeeping and accounting stuff gets a lot easier. Of course, there's a mobile app. You can track cash flow so that you know when to expect money coming in. Time tracking. If you're doing uh, any invoicing or projects uh, that are hourly based, you can just put it right into FreshBooks. So here's the thing you need to know. 
is that if you are a person that uh, really does not like the numbers, uh, maybe especially if you're one of those people, FreshBooks is offering a month of unrestricted use to all duct tape marketing listeners. It's totally free right now, and you don't even need a credit card to get started. Just go to freshbooks.com slash duct tape. You know, another thing, though, phenomenon that I think has crept in that doesn't probably get enough credit in this discussion is that you know a lot of people went off to a job and that was their thing and that's how what defined them and uh, you know that was you know a big part of what they would put in but I think today we have so many people that are thankfully doing things that they're very passionate about that are you know creating things that to them make a difference or working in organizations that that for them make a difference and I think in some ways you know like sometimes people ask me uh, you know what my hobbies are, and I do have a few things. Obviously, I love to do, but I love what I do for a living. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. so reading other blog posts and and digging into some new tool or something for me can be a hobby. And I th- and I think a lot of people, you know, think, well, no, you've got to turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. Well, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that, and I think the fact that I've chosen work and other people have chosen work that they get a lot of joy out of is one way to actually manage balance. I totally agree, and and it's not wrong to love it. That doesn't make you a workaholic. That's right. It doesn't. And look at the role model we're being for our kids in pursuing something we love. I know your kids have learned so much from that. I know the girls have had lesson after lesson. But there is nothing wrong with teaching my kids how to research or teaching my kids how to how to study people that have gone before them or how to immerse themselves in a culture of learning. Uh, to me, that's more of a lifetime activity than teaching them to golf or play tennis or, or something that's totally away. Um, I think the imbalance tends to come from the people that feel like busyness is next to holiness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what I mean by that is they spend all day maybe on the wrong activities. They spend all day on social media, but not productively, or chasing blogs, but not productively, or seeing what everyone else is doing, saying, or selling. And then they didn't actually do their real work. So they're doing their real work when they should be and could be with their family or unplugging. And instead, they've got that guilt cloud above them, like that kid pig pen on Charlie Brown. (laughs) They're carrying around the should have dones with them, and they feel very out of balance. Well, yeah, they are out of balance because they're not making the main thing the main thing. All right, so how do we clean pig pen up then? Um, (laughs) Because uh, I, I do know that there probably are people listening to this to say, yeah, I, I don't know how I got here, but this isn't really you know, what I want to be doing or this isn't the, the design of my life that I want. You know, where do you start to take some of that back? Well, first and foremost, you have to say, even though I'm an entrepreneur or have my own business or have some you know, autonomy, it doesn't mean I can do what I want when I want and how I want. It does mean there's some discipline that's in order. And I know that's not a popular idea, but Freedom no, comes I, from. I, I think it's awesome because it means you get to pick whatever eighty hours a week you want to work. Exactly, it's exactly. Awesome. But you know, there is freedom <laughs> that comes from ritual. There is freedom that comes from schedule. There is such a liberation in knowing what you're going to be doing when, and knowing that when you do it, then you're free the rest of the day. You don't have to drag it around with you. If you wake up when you want and and it's late, or you're reacting after that, you've missed some core productive time. So I think the way you start is by creating some meaningful rituals or routines, if that's a more comfortable word. You wake up with 
a purpose. Instead of saying, I don't have a boss, I don't have to have an alarm clock, I'm gonna wake up when I want to. Instead say, you know what? Winners and achievers and people with purpose wake up on time and do an ordered amount of things to get out of the way before they have their dessert, right? They they get the meat done before there's dessert. You work on the income producing activities, the priority activities before you turn on all the reactive things. And by reactive things, I mean all the screens, all the incoming text, incoming phone. Let's pretend for a moment that we're building a business without all that technology what would you do the first two hours in the office? You would write or create or make the phone calls that had already been made to you or answer the questions or write the thank you notes or do what you need to do for meaningful work. You would execute instead of starting by turning on your phone and reacting to everybody else that did get up on time. Yeah, and I think you mentioned the word priority. I mean, to me, that's actually where it all starts uh, because I, I think one of the challenges a lot of the business owners that I work with have is that they have a list of 15 things that they think are priorities. And right. so consequently, they get sort of so overwhelmed by trying to accomplish those that, uh, you know, we work with folks and really try to get them to say, okay, this next quarter, what are the top two? Yep. Okay, I'll give you three if I have to <laughs> priorities. And we're going to put all of, we're going to make all of our decisions around whether or not that drives us towards that priority. I love that, and I, I wrote a little bit about that in my first book, but I call that the motive matrix, that I, I feel like most businesses, most small businesses especially, fall into about four key priorities at any given time. One is lead generation, um, so prospects. One is profits. One is pathways, which is like your infrastructure, your systems, your onboarding, those kind of things. And one might be positioning. So what are your top two? And I have my clients assign a, a P1, priority one, and a priority two for the quarter. So it may be that I'm really, really cash poor right now. And that has to be the focus of every decision. And number two might be leads or vice versa. Mm -hmm. That means every task on my list, every incoming email, every ask that somebody has of me has to go through that filter. So just like when you're standing over the sink draining pasta, right? It has to make it through the filter. Mm -hmm. Does it go through the filter of, does this feed my need for cash right now? Because that's my number one priority. Nope. All right, then we're going to table that till next quarter. Because right now I need to say, thank you for thinking of me. This doesn't fit in with my motives right now, I'm going to have to pass on this. You focus, focus on those things. And it really does make your decision making pretty painless. Yeah, I think, and you just hit on that. I mean, one of the uh, the greatest skills probably that you have to develop that is a little bit hard is is that idea to say no. I mean, even, even saying no, you, you mentioned the cash uh, poor business. Well, in some cases, that cash poor business is really susceptible to taking on a terrible client or taking on a terrible engagement. Yep. Um, and I think that the, the, the sort of alternate filter has to, has to also be, you know, where are we trying to go? Right. Um, and, and that sometimes saying no is, is probably harder than saying yes. Yeah, and, and you know, couch it with a thank you. No, thank you. Wow, thanks for thinking of, thinking of me, yeah. but this just doesn't fit with what I can be doing. I can recommend somebody to you, or we can revisit this in Q2, but right now I just can't. 
and then walk away. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to have shame. You need to just be able to know that you don't have, you know, the big thing right now is FOMO, right? Fear mm-hmm. of missing out. I had to look it up the other day. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and admit that my age that I, I missed that one, but fear of missing out. I call that opportunistic paranoia. This opportunity will never come back again. I will never have the chance to do this guys. There are very, very few real once in a lifetime opportunities. Very, very few. Most opportunities or similar things or even better things will come along again. And if you're laser focused on what your priorities are right now, then it's easier to say no to some of those. So for example, if somebody says to me, uh, you know, I said positioning is sometimes a priority. Positioning means like credibility, like, oh, hey, I was on a podcast with John Jantz. I mean, that's positioning. Um, maybe sharing a stage with or co-authoring with or having a forward done by. But if someone says to me right now, if, if my priority is leads and my secondary is cash, somebody says, hey, we'd like for you to co-author or contribute a chapter to right. this book, XYZ, this compilation of these other people. If positioning is not my number one, if lead generation is not going to be super strong from that project, and here's a hint, it won't be. Um, if cash is not going to be super strong from that project, here's a bigger hint that won't be from that either, then I can say thank you for thinking of me. I would love to be part of a project like that in another quarter, but right now that doesn't work for me. So when you work with with clients or even in your own um, priority and, and planning, uh, do are there certain disciplines that you you know, have to uh, bring in. For example, if you work with somebody, I, I, I was talking to another, uh, a coach who really helps in productivity the other day, and she said one of the, you know, the worst things she has to do is most of her clients, she has to tell them they have to get off Facebook for, yep. you know, the next 90 days so they can create the space they need to, to actually reorganize their life or their, or their business. I mean, are there disciplines like that that you think people who find themselves a little um, struggling to get their priorities met uh, that just need to do in this day and age where there's so much noise? Yes. Um, I would agree with her. You have to tell people to get, you know, stop watching other people. And the number one place they're watching other people is Facebook. Yeah. I also tell my client, because we can't help but compare. Mm-hmm. We, we can't help but compare and write down ideas and those kind of things. And you just have to stop it. The second thing I tell them is to unsubscribe from the majority of the lists that you're on. Uh, one of my own particular disciplines, I don't know if you even know this, but I tend to follow one person a year. Hmm. And sometimes it's because of a particular skill. Like if I were studying John Jantz, it would be for content. Like you are you are a freaking content machine. So I might say for this year, my focus is going to be content. I'm going to follow John. I'm going to read his stuff, watch his social, and I'm going to do that for the purpose of learning from. I'll also listen to his podcast. But that being said, I'm off everybody else's list. I'm not listening to anybody else's podcast. I'm not reading anybody else's stuff because it really is about what John is doing and saying. Now, sometimes in the process of doing that, I find somebody that I'm learning things I do not want to do. That would never be you, of course, but I followed somebody one year and we only got about three months into the year and I thought, nope, this is not somebody I can emulate in any way, shape or form except for the list of do not do's. So I, my email box is surprisingly manageable because I am not on a lot of lists. I do not subscribe to a lot of things. I don't have a lot of noise in my head other than my own voices and there are several of those, (laughs) but 
Um, so that's a second thing I tell clients. And the third thing I like to tell them is to turn off incoming. Like unless you have a scheduled call or Skype or appointment, don't react to the phone. Set a time for reacting to texts or emails or requests of you. You cannot spend your days and you certainly cannot achieve your goals if you spend all your time reacting to everyone else's priorities. This is time for you to have your priorities and to make them important. Your business deserves it. Your shareholders, which is your family, they deserve it. And um, you deserve it so that you can shed the pig pen cloud. So do you have a daily ritual that you follow or series of rituals or habits that you follow that really help you stay productive? Oh, absolutely. Um, So for those of you that don't know, I'm a mom of four. Two of them are still at home and I homeschool them three days a week and then they're in school two days a week. So I have two littles still. And then I also work from home full time with my business. So um, my routine is a little bit different every day, but there are some days that are more ritual oriented than others. I tend to do interviews on Tuesdays and Thursdays because those are the days they're in school. So I have a different ritual and routine those days. My first ritual though, and I'll be the first to admit it, I liked waking up when I woke up. I didn't mind that the kids woke me up, but that has all changed. So I now set an alarm, I get up at a certain point, I have my coffee, I do my reading and my journal, and then I hit the shower and I dress. Yes, I'm a work-at-home professional, but I am not working in my pajamas or yoga pants. I'm wearing clothes that I can meet a client in or be on Skype in or meet a teacher in if I get called up to the school for some reason. That's all part of my productivity routine. I don't turn on uh, social or email or those things until I've accomplished two or three things off my priority list for the day and the things at the top of the priority list match with the priority one or priority two business in my life right now. So that's a a start to the day. And honestly, John, I think you would concur that if you master the first two to three hours of your day, the rest almost falls into place. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It's, It's where that starts to spiral. And if I can master that first two to three hours, then it's okay if a kid calls from school with a headache and I need to pick them up or if somebody has a a notebook I need to run to them or a meeting or a, you know, whatever it happens to be. If I can master those first two to three hours almost every day, then I'm winning. I'm ahead of the game. So let's talk about delegation. Um, I think that there are only about two or three things that can't be delegated. (laughs) I don't think you can delegate your strategy or your vision or your story for your business, but that's about it. I think everything else... Uh, can be delegated at some point. Now, you may still be the chief rainmaker and you may be the only one that can create product, uh, you know, initially. But boy, you know, email and social and, you know, marketing and accounting and, you know, all those things can be delegated. And I wonder where you fall on, you know, how somebody should start looking at, I, I think you have to look at delegation the day that you get into business or you'll find yourself, you know, waiting around to figure out, you know, the time when it's ready. Uh, I yeah. Think. Yeah, I think you have to build to grow. And I think that this is one thing that if we're if we're painting some gender pictures, and again, these are generalities, so don't take exception, you know, if this doesn't fit you. But I think as women, we tend to less likely want to let go of some of it, especially the stuff around the house. You know, maybe the laundry's not folded the way we like it, or maybe, you know, we want to do our own grocery shopping or, you know, whatever that happens to be. But we're, we're gonna I, have to have some coaching sessions around this, Carrie. We're gonna have to help you let go of things. No, no I've let go. I, I'm good. 
did. My towels are a hot mess in the closet, but somebody else folded them. I didn't do it. As long as it's clean and dry, I'm good with it when I get out of the shower. No, I think that, but I think in generalities as women, we tend to say, you know, I, I mean, I even have somebody that helps me. Um, take my girls to class on Monday and Tuesday night. They have tumble in gymnastics and they, I mean, tumble in theater and they overlap each other and they're a little bit of a commute apart. So, um, you know, I have help with that because my kids, number one, they love having a college kid that they're hanging out with. They think that's really cool. And the other thing is that frees up some nighttime free time for me where I can focus if I want to cook dinner or if I want to wrap up some administrative things. But spending all those hours on the road, um, you know, is not necessarily productive or a good use of their time or mine. Now, some of the hypervigilant moms and dads will say, oh, but that's such a good connection time. And oh, our time with them is so short. Remember, I homeschooled three days a week and my weekends are very much my kids. So, Really? 20 minutes in the car to and 20 minutes in the car from and an hour and a half of dead time in between is not is not going to warp my kids or destroy my relationship with them. I challenge anyone, you know, with the relationship I have with my kids. We are solid. But that was a hard thing for me to give up because I had all of those tapes playing in my head. So I think that you you can start by delegating home things, especially if you work for yourself or at home. You can have someone. I have a lady that uh, now helps me with my grocery shopping. She has a great service. She does that. She'll even come put it away whether I'm here or not here. Um, But you can delegate stuff in your business. You can delegate social scheduling. You can delegate blog posting. You can delegate graphics, um, you know, website stuff. Fiber creation. I mean, there are all sorts of things you can. As you know, I have somebody that helps me with my interview scheduling. And that's a huge load off my plate because it helps me just not have to think about the calendar and where the pieces fit and if I have all the questions or my photos sent or all of that stuff. So I think you don't have to break the bank on staff and infrastructure in order to delegate wisely. But the minute you try to be CEO, CMO, secretary, assistant, and janitor, you're going to run into capping your income growth. And talk about out of balance. That's the quickest way to fall off the tightrope for sure. Absolutely. So I want to finish up with, um, this is April 2016. So depending upon when you're listening to this, um, Carrie's working on a new book called Move the Needle. So give us a little teaser about your uh, upcoming book. Yeah, I am super excited about movement. Um, You know, Barefoot Executive was fun because it was my first one, but this is the one I really want to write and I'm working on it. It's about the tiny, almost imperceptible changes that we make that add up to transformative differences. And I don't know about you, John, but I remember when I was a kid, I would sit and stare at the clock in the kitchen and say, when does it move? How does it move? I want to see it move. We really want to see that movement, but it was so small, you couldn't detect it. And yet time kept marching on, right? The changes in your body, in your business, in your bank account, in your relationships, they're the same way. What stops us in our tracks is trying to to rocket to the next change instead of saying, you know what? Little stuff matters. Drinking water Drinking more water matters to my health. Cutting sugar matters to my health. I don't have to radically shift every single thing that I'm doing to see a change. As a matter of fact, that will sabotage me. It'll shut me down. It'll freeze me in every area. 
So it's about the little trackable changes that make a big difference. Yeah, you go on that crash course, and next thing you know, you've you've you know crashed. You you've eaten three boxes of Twinkies, you know, (laughs) in one sitting because you couldn't take any more. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting. uh, I mean, there's lots of research on this. Obviously, this idea idea of people, you know, that that are trying to break some you know big habit, and and you know they've tried over and over and over again and then one time for some reason it, it clicked and it wasn't necessarily because they got some you know new drug or some new cookbook or some new uh, diet or something that or you know some patch to you know get them to quit smoking they just made some sort of switch in their head yeah and yeah uh, and it's and it's it's the switch that you make every single day um you know a lot of people know my story i've now lost half my body weight and I'm half the woman I used to be. The um, and and people are so disappointed when they see my before and after picture and they say, "Wow, how long did that take you?" And when I say 15 years, they they get so irritated with me, you know. But the truth is, I gained and lost and gained and lost, and I had two more babies and and all those things. But it really has taken that long to fix it in my head. It's really taken that long for me to embrace who I am now. And it's taken that long for some of those changes to stick, but they'll say, what did you do? What did you do? And what they really mean is, what did you take and tell me how you eat right now? Mm -hmm. And when I say, well, the first thing I did was switch to only water. You know, the second thing I did was cut out everything except for stevia. It's the only sweetener that I use. No sugar, no honey, no anything, just stevia. The third thing I did was cut out, you know, processed anything. Nothing in a package. I don't need anything in a package. You know, and I tell them, but those changes may have been six months at a time, but they're little changes that add up, and it makes a huge, huge difference. You can do the same when you're paying off your debt or when you're saving money or when you're building muscle and working out, or when you're building a business or adding leads. It's the tiny, unseeable changes sometimes that then make the biggest difference. It's how you become a 25-year overnight success. That's exactly what it is, and it's how you age backwards. So you look at my pictures now, and I'm aging backwards. I didn't do that overnight either. That's taken a while too. Well. As someone who's known you for a while, I, it's obvious that what you're doing right now is, is good for you. Oh, thank you, John. I appreciate it. So, Carrie, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, hopefully uh, looking forward to Move the Needle, and hopefully we'll see you out there on the road. Sounds great. <laughs>